0: Hello, and welcome to The Libertarian Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined, as always, by the libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the Cohen raid, and Richard, uh, the day before we're recording this, news emerged that uh, Michael Cohen, President Trump's personal lawyer – had been the subject of an FBI raid, and this is understood as not being directly a part of the Mueller investigation but the result of information that Mueller referred over to federal prosecutors in New York. And of course the backdrop for this, Cohen has been in the news recently over the allegations that he had supposedly on Donald Trump's behalf paid what amounted to hush money to this porn star that the president had allegedly been consorting with – Which some of the critics allege would have been a violation of campaign finance laws. We can talk about that later. Uh, Supposedly, some documents related to that constituted at least part of what was being pursued here. So let's start with this, Richard. A lot of confusion today about the attorney client privilege between Trump and Cohen and what that would and wouldn't protect. Explain how that works and whether you see anything here that indicates that that privilege may have been violated.
1: Well, I mean, you don't know whether or not a privilege has been violated until you have some sense of what the communications are. Uh, But the basic notion is that if there's a communication between a lawyer and his or her client, uh, the only way that candor can uh, result from that particular exchange is if they're shielded from view by prosecutors or other things. Otherwise, for example, to take the simple case, a lawyer asks the client whether you're guilty and the client gives an answer one way or another. If there's no client attorney privilege, uh, then you can demand that the attorney say, well, did he confess to you? And the answer is yes. Put him on the stand and make him testify and it becomes impossible to have any kind of representation whatsoever. Or if you're talking about business transactions which turn south and there's a question about potentially legality or tax consequences, uh, do you really want the attorney to be put on the stand to say, well, yes, this thing is likely to run into trouble with the Internal Revenue Service, but I may or may not be able to protect you. Both the attorney's reputation will be shattered and the client will be in an extremely difficult position. So essentially, there's something known very narrowly as the crime fraud exception, uh, which in those cases in which the particular stuff that has been communicated is part and parcel of a conspiracy uh, to commit some sort of federal action or state crime, then generally and only then you can breach it. There are also other exceptions Exceptions: If it turns out that the attorney has knowledge that the client may be about to commit some violent crime, then the question is, can he or must he release that information? But in this particular case, there's no future uncertainty about what is or is not going to be done. It's not as though Cohen is about to do something horrid or has a client who's about to assassinate somebody. Uh, So essentially, the privilege probably would apply. Uh, But since the search warrant that was issued in this particular case was so broad, you have no idea just looking at it as to whether or not it's going to get communications that were or were not covered by the privilege in the usual sorts of procedure. What happens is when you go to a client and or to a lawyer and say we want to see documents. Um, you essentially have the lawyer go through them one after another to see whether or not they're privileged. And if the privilege is essentially contested, then you go before a judge who looks at them. And if it's not, then they're kept out of the situation. If the privilege is not claimed, uh, then it turns out that the documents are turned over. And so instead of doing this thing on a wholesale basis, uh, what you do it is you do it essentially document by document, a small class of document by small class of document. And of course, in this particular particular case, none of those niceties were observed. Uh, there wasn't even a warrant that was served which would give them the chance. It was a case in which what they did is they simply went into three or four different locations and seized everything that they thought might be relevant to this, that, or the other crime. Uh, the Fourth Amendment says, A, you know, you have to have probable cause in order to issue a warrant, supported by oath or affirmation. That's not too difficult. Particularly describing the place to be searched, this is obviously plural, and the persons or things to be seized. There's no particular description of those things. Uh, So it seems to me that uh, uh, this warrant could be contested on the ground that there's not probable cause or there's so much probable cause for so many different offenses that you really have to break it down and say which of these things is relevant and which is not. And there's also no uh, description of a particularity. Uh, so I think, in effect, that the government has committed a fairly serious breach of this situation. And I'm not here trying to figure out whether I think guilt or innocence is at stake. I mean, I have my own odd suspicions about what might have happened in some of these cases, but they're frankly not the kind of thing mere speculation that even comes remotely close to probable uh, cause. And indeed, if you're talking about the linguistics on this, a reasonable suspicion is short of probable cause. Reasonable suspicion may allow you to stop and frisk somebody, but it does not allow you to get a warrant.
0: Richard, President Trump As one might expect, was furious over this, and in the comments that he made to the press after this became public, he raised again the prospect of firing Robert Mueller. Didn't say he was going to do it, but raised it. Given the fact that sounds like from your end you do think there was some overreach here, is that an appropriate response? Is it an appropriate thing for the president to be talking about publicly?
1: I mean, look, this is crazy. The whole thing should have never happened this way. As I've said countless times, Mueller should have never been appointed to this particular position because he's too close to Rosenstein, uh, to the FBI, and to Jim Comey, all of whom are figures that are involved in this situation. When you want to run a clean investigation, you get somebody of immense ability and no connections to anybody. And so I think it was just a mistake to appoint him. Uh, Trying to fire him, of course, is extremely difficult because you get all the political blowback up to and including impeachment. What makes this a little bit more difficult is if you can establish, and I have no idea whether you can, and that Mueller, in effect, had gone consciously beyond his purview in an effort to try and get somebody else to cooperate him so as to put the heat on Trump with respect to matters that were outside the scope of his Russia investigation, one could argue that that's a form of impropriety and so the way in which the Trump people would try to argue it is we're not just dismissing him because we have the power of the president supervisory as it is to dismiss anybody within the executive branch we're doing this for cause and it seems to me that you can't answer that question authoritatively until somebody actually passes on these particular warrants Um, and my guess is that there will be a motion to suppress and to return all the documents that will be made by Cohen and if what I said is correct it seems to me that this has a respectable chance uh, of being granted. This doesn't mean, of course, that if Cohen did something wrong, he's scot-free. It just means that you have to start over again and get yourself the standard kind of warrant going through the uh, more... for typical procedures of asking for the turnover of papers. Generally speaking, the only time in which you're allowed to stage a raid is if you have information that documents are about to be destroyed so you could get them and preserve them. And even in that case, the right answer is not to get the documents and to look at them, but to get the documents and to hold them and then go through the situation about a warrant to see whether or not you can see them because you don't have to read the documents in order to prevent the destruction of this. Or if you think that they're stonewalling you, which is hard to make in this case because they've already turned over so many documents on request, and it's not at all clear after you get the first million uh, whether you think they're holding back the juiciest ones or whether this is just a fishing expedition or harassment campaign. So I don't think it looks very good. I've been very upset with Mueller from the beginning on this whom he chose on the staff, how it turned out that they behaved. Uh, My view about it is Trump may well have done something. I can't possibly say about that. But the difficulty you get in my view is that anybody who is sympathetic to the president will, if a guilty verdict in some sense comes out or an indictment is brought against some of his close associates or even against him, which I I don't think could stand, they're going to say this is just foul play from top to bottom. And one of the reasons why you want to get somebody who's outside the political orbit in its entirety is it will legitimate any kind of indictment, conviction or hostile actions uh, that is being made. At this point, we've had nine, nine and a half months, I guess it is, since the special prosecutor has been appointed. And still what we have only have is nibbling at the edges with no hint of what the comprehensive case will look like. So I think that this is a very bad performance by um, our friend Mueller. And this is without any prejudgment one way or another of what I think is actually going on. Uh, we could talk about Stormy Daniels and all the rest of that stuff, but that just raises more questions. It doesn't solve the problems that we're facing.
0: I do want to actually ask you one question on that front because we should consider this underlying accusation that if Cohen was making a payment to Stormy Daniels on Trump's behalf, that it would have constituted an illegal campaign contribution. Because, Richard, even if the prosecutors laid the predicate for making that case, they'd still be required to prove that the payment was explicitly for Trump's political benefit as opposed to a, a private benefit like protecting his marriage. How difficult would that proposition be to prove in court?
1: Well, I mean, it's such an odd way. I mean, you're not asking for any particular statement. Obviously, the personal interests are there, as are the professional interests. Um, it's, I guess what their argument would be is that Cohen has gone above the campaign contribution limit when he paid $130,000 to this person. And I suppose there's some kind of case that could be made out on this particular situation. Um but I'm you know, just puzzled as to why people would think that that was the dominant stuff. My own view on the political side is that the fact that Donald Trump may have committed adultery 10 or 11 years ago is not news. Um, I, I think it's probably a moral certainty on the part of everybody that given his rather uh, dramatic sexual history, he was engaged in some kind of hanky-panky uh, even while his wife was present was pregnant, so i, I don 't think that 's what the situation is, but I have no idea i don 't know who approached whom i don 't know why it is that she accepted the money i don 't know why it is if she accepted the money. she then wants to turn it back i don 't know whether a Cohen was the one who came to her, whether she was the one who came to him, whether a third party started to put them together, whether there was some black round information that she was about to be turned into hostile witness by the Clinton campaign. Um, we just don't know. So as far as I can see, that's a very sordid kind of affair. But even if you can get an indictment on her, it doesn't seem to me or in him and maybe even her. I don't even know. God knows what she may have done. Contributed silence to the campaign under these theories. Um, It doesn't explain how you could get to the Trump situation unless he authorized it or knew about it and gave some degree of tacit consent to what's going on. He has flatly denied publicly knowing anything about this. Um, It could well be that this was one of those situations where Cohen says, I can't tell my boss, but I know he wants this to be done, so I'm going to do it for him. I can't use his money, so I'm going to use my own. Who knows uh, what is going on in this case? But if you're trying to figure out what happened, happened with Russia. Spending your time talking about Stormy Daniels doesn't strike me as a very constructive way uh, in which to uh, uh, deal with this issue. And my guess is Mueller knew something about this, which is why he tried to refer it up to New York, uh, so that he could open up the second front without having his fingerprints on it. But if he was behind this, Then he's clearly going beyond the scope of his authority. And as I've mentioned, four-cause dismissal can no longer be regarded as a frivolous or eccentric argument. It's something you have to do. And you can't run a world in which now Mueller is going to be subject to depositions or to inquiries to see whether or not he's behaved inside or outside his scope. But Manafort is challenging this. And it seems to me that if I were his lawyers, I would play hardball. And I would want to take everybody on the Mueller team who was connected with the Manafort situation and want to get their depositions to see whether or not they knew they were ultra virus. That is beyond the scope of this investigation. It will probably be turned down in many cases, but it may not be turned down at all. And there may be some documents there that you're going to force them to reveal. So this thing really has spun out of control. And I don't think it does anybody any good. But this is one time where if I were Donald Trump and I were innocent of any Russia involvement, I think I'd say the same thing, notwithstanding my calm juridical nature with respect to most of the things that I talk about as a disinterested academic.
0: If you were giving the president legal advice right now, what would you be telling him?
1: Shut up. <laughs> I mean, that's the, Best, advice that's the whole, whole advice. <laughs> you can't. Look, there's nothing he can do to make this situation better. And everybody understands this. And he just taunts him. That's why his doubt, his former lawyer resigned, because Trump wants to answer a deposition. Now, I can know a little bit about depositions. I've had my deposition taken. I mean, it's you know not a fun operation. Uh, but I want to tell you the same thing that my lawyers told me about depositions so that you can understand. He said, you can go on for a day. And you can be right 99% of the time and get absolutely wiped out. That guy is looking for is the one slip of the tongue which links you to him, to her or whatever. And then everything else falls into place. So when you're playing defense on a deposition, you have to bat a 1,000. Somebody like Trump is going to volunteer information. The first rule in answering a deposition is you bite your lip, you count to 10, look at your lawyer, take a sip of water, and then say, I don't remember. Because if you start to say that you do remember, it turns out you don't remember. And one of the standard tricks that good plaintiffs lawyers or defendants lawyers use in a deposition is they come up and they ask you about something and you're overconfident that you remember and you start saying, oh yes or oh no. And then they whip out a piece of paper which shows that you've forgotten everything that you said seven years ago. And then the moment you see it, that sort of gnawing pit in your stomach starts to come forward and you realize you put yourself in deep trouble. That's why you never ever volunteer to go into one of these things. You can't uh, it's hard enough in a deposition to plead privilege and consistently assert it, because the rule is you fall off a cliff and have to answer everything. The moment you go beyond the fact that this was a communication and say something about its contents, and, and so you know, given that rule, that you once you breach the privilege wall, you can never put it back together again. Do you think Donald Trump is the kind of person who could claim privilege and make it stick? Do you think he would listen to any lawyer he had when he got into that particular room? Um, It's just... It's madness on his part to think that he can do a deposition, particularly since uh, the only things that we know is there have been other investigations of the Russia things, I think, in the Congress, which have come up empty. And we do know that Comey, when he spoke to him, says, Mr. President, I'm not going to say anything to the public, but I don't think we have anything that shows you colluding with the Russians. I mean, that enough is – is enough to get Trump absolutely outraged, if Comey, in fact, believe it. And of course, he's been a complete operator in this thing. Uh, you know, he's been attacked just today in the paper by Lanny Davis, uh, because of the way in which he sabotaged Hillary Clinton in the October of the 2016 campaign. Everybody forgets that he bailed her out in July of 2016, and in March of 2015. I mean, He just made so many mistakes, it's just very difficult to keep track of them. And I'm saying this as somebody who's not a criminal defense lawyer or a prosecutor. And if I can figure out the mistakes, imagine what somebody who actually knows this stuff can do. Um, It's a pretty bad record, and the whole thing is unforgivably shabby.
0: So final question. Obviously, all of us who aren't on Robert Mueller's payroll are operating somewhat in the dark here. But based on what we know so far… What's the bigger threat to the Trump administration? The Mueller investigation or the midterm elections?
1: I would say at this point, the midterm elections, but they're not entirely independent. I do think the way he's handled the Mueller investigations will give the Democrats some real room to run and to basically cast suspicions upon him. I think they would be mistaken given what we know now to make impeachment the central issue. Um, but if they make it impropriety, the difference between impropriety and an impeachable offense, you know, a high crime or misdemeanor is not ironclad and you could switch into that. Um, but also, I mean, the 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 president at this point, unless he backs off of the trade and immigration issues, um, he could lose huge portions of his base. Every day he sort of sounds as though he's going to put the tariff walls up. The market goes down 500 or 600 points and seems to go the other way. It goes back up again. He has to understand on the trade issues, uh, people don't care about the balance of trade. Uh, that's something he cares about but doesn't understand. What they really care about is whether they can sell their soybeans to China. And they make a profit from that transaction. Uh, So if you've got all these people selling, making profits, all these people buying, making profits, all these people who buy in order to sell in the international market, making profits, if you shut the whole machine down, there's nobody in the United States who turns out to win and given the fact that he's done pretty well on the domestic economy, either by hook or by crook or even understanding it, the unemployment issue that drove this several years ago, 8 or 9% employment, now you see signs criminals, please apply. I mean, obviously the labor markets have turned. So the smart thing for him to do is to go to his base and said, you know, we've managed to do enough domestically. We've managed to do enough with tax reform. We've managed to do enough with state liberalization on certain things. This labor issue is now under control. You're not losing your jobs. Let's expand and grow the pie. And we're going to call off our dogs and try and essentially negotiate constructive treaties. I think he can win on that element because the people who were hurting four or five years ago because of Obama policies are not hurting under Clinton policies. Obama likes to say, you know, it's all my stuff that is now taking hold. Uh, But the truth of the matter is exactly opposite. They undo one Obama policy after another. Most of them are counterproductive. And and so market liberalization uh, through the negation is the way to win this election. So he has to concentrate on growth and he cannot do that if he's playing, you know, uh, basically blind man's buff on the one hand or stick up and chicken uh, with the Chinese and with everybody else on international trade. If he's supposed to be a master strategist, what he has to do is to calm down, be quiet, talk to somebody like Kudlow who actually knows what's going on, figure out what to do there on the domestic market. And on the foreign market, I do think he's going to finally have to do something with respect to Syria and the red line. Uh, I think he's finally realized that there have been a lot of people, and i will just end on this note, who speculate that the reason why Trump is so immobile on Putin and everything else is they got the goods on him with some transaction having to do with German bank loans from 2007. I don't know if that's true or false and that's why this thing is so hard because if Mueller does have something – it's going to be just horrific. And if he has nothing, then he'll just stall this out. So from the delay, we can't figure out whether he has everything or nothing, which is an element of uncertainty, uh, which is very large. My betting now is he has nothing. Why is that? Uh, Because nine and a half months is an awfully long time to go, given all the information that he's collected, to still be pursuing these kinds of collateral issues.
0: Okay. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can follow Richard on Twitter. That's at Richard A. Epstein. You can read his weekly column. It's called The Libertarian by visiting definingideas at hoover.org. And you can help us out by rating the show on iTunes. For Richard Epstein, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution.